We're continuing our First Corinthians series, and today we are on chapter four, verses one through four. One through seven is my text, and I entitled the sermon "Servant and Steward." And next week's sermon title will be "Scum and Spiritual Father." Those are the four titles. For spiritual leaders of the church. And I'll explain why in a little bit. Let me begin with this quote. Sam Pasco, sometimes it's a credit to Richard Hervelson. I'm not quite sure, but this quote caught my attention a few years ago. And some of you have seen that and heard that probably during one of our messages on Book of Acts. Sam Pasco writes, Christianity started out in Palestine as a fellowship. It moved to Greece and became a philosophy. It moved to Italy and became an institution. It moved to Europe and became a culture. It came to America and became an enterprise is so true. We've been talking about the way of this culture made the Christian church culture as consumer-oriented churches as well. Alongside of these cultural changes, the definition of a pastor also has changed quite a bit. In this today's passage, the Apostle Paul is basically going for one more application of the God's hidden wisdom on, on himself, uh, mainly, defending who he is and what he's doing in relationship with the Corinthian Christians there. He has already concluded, in some sense, his treatment on what to do on divisions in the church. Now he applies to himself, and he's kind of basically talking about what he is all about. In other words, his role as apostle. So basically, we could think about the whole passage as the biblical mandate or essential principles of biblical pastoring ministry. The reason why I say just keeping it a pastor's rather than ministers in general, I thought about it because one of the cultural changes and impacted in kind of negative way is basically the dichotomy between laity and clergy. So the clergy means that the priest and only the, the pastors uh, are responsible for the church and the rest of them. Just imagine that kind of Europe kind of a dead church, the pastor's doing everything, and everyone is a spectator. Well, that continually happens in America also, too. So the body of Christ, according to Scripture, is that picture of every member ministry. Each one of us has been given spiritual gifts that we are to actively exercise our spiritual gift to build up the body of Christ. That's the principle for New Testament church. So in some sense, we are all Christian 
ministers and workers. And in some sense, we have a teaching and pastoring responsibility. So it is not just about one person. However, having said that, Paul is talking about apostle's role and then distinctively the spiritual leader of one congregation. So I'm going to keep it as simple as the pastors, that redefinition of pastors. And then we'll get into that. Okay, number one, as the culture changes, the pastor became a hired gun. Starting with the more uh, traditional way, the traditional churches at elder board or the people who are uh, church council, they are the owners. Uh, they want to make sure the church grows in the organization as a, uh, a live community. But they lack the gifts and they lack the time and energy. So they hire these people to do the job. And they might stay only a couple of years or five years. Or uh, they will eventually move on, but still the stakeholders are the elders and the council. And even youth pastors... Okay, um, I've been a youth pastor for more than 14 years or so. All those years. Every time when I stayed about four years in one church, there's a record keeping. Typical youth pastor's uh, longevity of the ministry was six months. And even the church that I I went to be a youth pastor, the the kids were so defensive and guards are up. And they basically said, how long are you going to last and disappoint us by leaving by, as soon as we get attached to you? So it was kind of surreal to experience that. But that's constant. And even the pastors in some sense, um, a lot of it is a mistreatment and misusement a lot of control. You are to do what we expect you to do, kind of thing. So pastor as hired gun. Second is a pastor as CEO. So this one is more uh, people who have a vision and very innovative people. Uh, who's the owner of the church? The pastor. The, the pastor takes it on this task to build this organization, and they might be very visionary leaders, big L leaders. And if the church is very small, it, it could be a shop owner mentality. It's still business, right? The customers need to come and still need to grow. And a lot of mega churches in that model. And it, it's inevitable that as church grows in number, there is so much of need to maintain it because of organizational structure. It gets complex and needs are there. But the more who are high skilled in management, uh, entrepreneurial skill, are welcome in this kind of setting. And if you are one of the pastoral staff on a large church, you don't get to really teach much, 
on a regular basis. So the right type of people, the strength and gift, uh, you know, mixed, needed for this kind of church and pastors, are actually people are really good at rallying people, organizing, very organized, good at event building kind of thing, and volunteer management. So that has moved quite away from a typical picture of a pastor. But it is happening. Number three, pastor as an activist. This, this pastor's role is regarded to be a community leader who raises awareness and rallies people to take action for a cause. And in America, the nonprofit development is quite important also. Too. Typically, it's called a 501c nonprofit status. But those nonprofit leaders need to be also pioneering. But this might be a church and pastor who has a compassion or something for cause. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the question is still, who is directing the church? Who is the head of the church? And what is driving the church? Is a still question mark compared to what Paul is, Apostle Paul is talking about. Fourth and last, church as celebrity. These people are regarded to be charismatic leader, a communicator. We all have those people that we our favorite on, on radio or TV or or conference speaker, or just exceptionally good, even compared to TED conference speakers. Uh, mind-blowing skills in their communication, in their leadership. All these are acceptable in our culture now. So I ask you, are there some things should not be changed? What Paul is bringing up as these are the four essentials in chapter 4. And we're going to actually focus on only two this morning. Chapter, uh, verses 1 through 7. And I think so. Let me preface this. Whenever I say paradigm shift, this has a lot to do with this chapter. My own expectation of leadership Pastoral ministry has changed quite a bit because of what I'm, what I'm going to share from today's passage. So here's the first one. What is the biblically authentic model of, of the pastor? Full-time or, or lay people and even as our home group leaders teach and lead and shepherd, as our children's uh, teachers and coaches and overseers lead and shepherd. That's all included. But to be simple in our approach, I'm keeping it, the, keeping the language as just the pastors. Number one, pastors are the servants of Christ. Hence, 
don't put them on a pedestal, a pedestal, or nor abuse them. Verse one, Apostle Paul is simply saying this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. That word "servants," he's not in using the same word as you know the deacons' words. But he uses very unique word. Then he seaport seaport city people will understand. The Greek word is huperatus. Huperatus is basically under roar. Maybe some of you guys, it just might be too old, but movie then her. If you look at, you know, the battle command is there. The general goes down to check on them, the, the deep in the sea, a big, large sea. And, and at his command, they start with a battle speed, attack speed, and ram, ramming speed. And then all those servants and slaves are to do what is commanded to do. Paul is basically saying, I am subordinate to Christ who is in charge, who directs the directions. We are lowly servants. Why? He's pointing out, if we are the lowly servants who's just submitting to the direction that Christ is giving us, why do you boast in one of us? I don't know whether that TV reality show is still going on, but the pastors of L.A. It's an incredible thing. It's almost like you cannot even believe this is real. Are they these actors and kind of acting it out? But they're supposedly real pastors. Who has a bling blings and he just, oh. The way they talk about themselves is just horrendous. The true servants, the true pastors and spiritual leaders of a Christian community is servant of Christ. Let's make sure that we don't misunderstand. They are servants of Christ, not servants of congregation. So a lot of poor uh, pastors who are trying to be successful especially even small church also too. They need need to meet so many needs. They're 24-7 available. They're literally servants of people's need. No. Pastors are not the servant of people, primarily but of Christ. And I, 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 I sense this all the time also too. In a large church, in a previous church, that there's so many demands of needs. Right? So I'm one of the pastors who are needed, and I would get this urgent messages, Pastor Paul, I need to meet up with you 
tomorrow. So I thought something really big thing happened, and you know, so, uh, it's kind of very difficult. Tomorrow is already, I don't have a time, you know, I have to pick up my kids or something like that. And then, how about uh, one week from tomorrow? Oh no, tomorrow is, you got, we got to meet up tomorrow. So I am with the good intention. Oh, this must be really urgent matter. And I finally got together with that person. What's this all about? I don't even remember what it was. But the only reason I remember is that today is my day off. I only the time that I have to meet up with you is today. I'm not servant of people. So what's going to happen? The people have all these different needs of pastors trying to please congregation. He or she fails to be servant of Christ. This is what Paul saying in Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be servant of Christ. This implies two things. Number one. There is unhealthy fanfare for our favorite pastor, speaker, Christian leader, charismatic leader. We must stop. I I need to say that because some of us might have the tendencies. But for our generations and for... Our church setting, I think my concern for that tendency is very, very low. My concern is disregarding the focus and the call of Christ on the spiritual leader and that we continually put our expectation on the leader. In some sense, well... We're all about mutuality, right? Our generation is for that. And then mutuality, in some sense, when you're expecting things, a lot of pastors who are struggling emotionally, and sometimes in, in our church, I, you know, I'm so grateful. I'm not just making this up. I'm grateful that most of you, if not all of you, Don't project your father issue on me. <laughs> but that goes on all the time. Abusive things and uh, as if church... Uh, Christ, you, you're, you're, you're supposed to follow Christ and mother Christ. You're supposed to be this way. Yes. I'm a broken person. God is still working on me. Of course, I need to lead by an example. But servant of Christ doesn't mean a servant to everybody's psychological needs. One of the paradigm shifts I had is, in this ministry, I wait longer and pray more before I chase after people. I used to chase after people before I pray. Because I have noble mind. I wanted to care for them, make sure 
And one time, this, the, our college group, uh, the youth group kids made a video on my birthday. Uh, how, how nice it is. And they're kind of doing a skit. And they're calling me in the middle of the night. That was a kind of one thing that used to make fun of me, that when they call me in the middle of the night, there's some crisis is there. The police is outside, you know, they're closing, locking the door because dad was drunk and abusive and that kind of thing. And they will call me like at 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to pay attention. And I was falling asleep. A lot of times it's about boy, boy problem, other problem also. Too. <laughs> so a few times I, I slipped my, you know, out of like a, almost like a sleep stage. I was saying nonsensical things. And then they made so much of a, one kid made so much big deal out of it. I kind of play along. Conan, Conan was there. This was not Conan O'Brien. Like, I just made it up. Conan, the barbarian thing. And then, oh, can I talk to Conan tonight? In other words, they wanted to experience what they heard about. What the point all about is they made that video. They're going for calling me for every single need. Ha, 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 it's funny, but my heart was broken. Because instead of going to Christ, I made them come to me. I became the good guy. If I were servant of Christ, they would go to Christ. So if I give you space and wait longer and pray, it's very hard for me that's I'm trying to please Christ rather than some of you. Number two, pastors are the stewards of God's word. Hence, seek to be guided by their faithfulness in scripture. It comes out right away, verse 1. Regard us as servant of Christ, servants of Christ and stewards of of mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Obviously, mysteries of God means God's revelation. Mysteries, mysteries doesn't mean things that are mysterious, but things that kept hidden until now, and it's an open secret. God's revelation, God's hidden secret wisdom revealed in Scripture. To simply put, first and primary spiritual leader of any Christian community is stewardship of God's word. And this is what I meant because I thought my first gift was more of uh, leading and training, not teaching. I thought I would be fine. So as I'm planting, planting this church, I was planting this church, and week by week, the daily agenda of my pastoral ministry has dramatically changed because of simply because of this call, and I'm convinced of that. So most of the times, I'm struggling with scripture, even this week, until it kind of sits deep inside, not so much of a how to deliver this and how to craft this message, 
what might be the creative way to deliver it or analogy of it, but just the fact that word of God sits in me and becomes a fire. I am, my heart is ignited. So that I may be a good steward and be faithful in delivering what God is sharing. Leading our, our church in not my own simple wisdom, human wisdom, but God's hidden secret wisdom from Scripture. Of course, each one of you could open that. But I am to be, the pastors are to be the leader and the steward being responsible for right teaching, right direction of the church, theologically. If so, there are three important things that comes along with this, if we accept that as essential. Pastors are essentially teachers, not entrepreneurs, not developers, not, a, not a leaders, but teachers of God's word. Number two, the pastors or even children's ministry workers, every single one who serves Christ as a servant of Christ, must be guided by scripture as authority. Do you know that I agree with you in terms of you, you feel frustrated when Paul goes on and on. He could say it this way and save about five, ten minutes there. Yeah, I agree. I get frustrated with myself too. <laughs> I can't understand it because his pronunciation is kind of weird. I agree. I, I, I'm just... But do you know that in teaching God's word, what is respected of me is faithfulness to scripture. Not eloquence, not creativity, not the powerful dynamic speaking that bring the house down. On that day, Christ will ask me and he will know already whether I have been faithful. When you teach little kids, same thing. God's accounts with you in Christ's question will not be how kids were just mesmerized by your creativity. Have you been faithful? When you're leading home group Bible study also too, leading Exodus did you get the meanings? Did you struggle with the scripture that you were sharing? Simply what God has spoken. Of course, the giftedness is uh, people who are actually able to do that more. And there is a correlation of the church's growth and the dynamic speaker. And I, I actually given up on that. Because what I am interested in now is what the scripture says about how Christ will judge me. Nothing else more is important to a pastor's role than being faithful 
to God's Word, teaching and upholding Scripture. And think about cultural changes now. This is hard. You know, most pastors' friends in a growing church, especially the larger church, the time for their sermon is limited to 28 minutes, sometimes 25. And if they go more than 30 minutes, there will be all kinds of signs will going up. I don't want to, I don't want you guys to think about how long I usually speak. I, I know that sometimes goes more than 45 minutes. Are you convinced as you're hearing this and Apostle Paul is dogmatic about style? Is he, is he concerned about things that are too old now that we should abandon that? Or is he telling the truth that all pastors need to give heed, all Christian workers, including you and me together, lay or full-time, to pay attention to these two essential roles that Paul is talking about. Servant of Christ, who pleases Christ. Steward of God's word, who is faithful to stewardship of in God's word. If so, there are a couple of things that he mentions in verse 3 to 5. First one is about judging. Um, the context in, in Paul's case is Corinthians were judging left and right. Paul wasn't looking for financial compensation. He refused to get paid. He was working in tent making and support himself. His purpose and reason was such a noble thing. He didn't want to stumble anyone who wants to come to know Christ. Why? In those, those Greek cities, Greco-Roman world, there's so many teachers of the philosophers passing by and gathering students, and they will teach, and they will get paid, and they will stay in their rooms, in their houses. All this treatment was there. Paul didn't want to equate the gospel as the philosophies of the Greek Greco-Roman world. Gospel was freely given to us. So in order for him to not to stumble others, but in the first Corinthians were basically saying, he's not getting paid because he's not qualified. Cephas, oh, we all take care of, took care of their needs. Apollos. Well, why Paul? Paul's because he's not really truly an uh, apostle. Because he's not qualified. And obviously, all these things, Paul was hurt by that, right? So he writes this way. In that context, verse 3. But with me, it is very small thing that I should be judged by you 
or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to the light, to light the things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of the heart. And then each one will receive his commendation from God. Paul is saying, if pastors are servants of Christ, leave the judgment to Christ. Do not judge them. Do not your hidden motives and their fruits, unseen things. However, this doesn't mean that we are not to discern their teaching. Because Paul was adamant about false teachers. In chapter 5, he brings a church issue. Was that there's an incest going on. And a man took his, his father's wife. And church leaders didn't do anything about it. And he will bring that up. So obviously he doesn't mean blanket statement, don't judge anything. No matter what goes on on TV, what kinds of false teachings are going on, what kinds of lies are going on, just close your, close your eyes because Christ will take care of that. No, we are to discern. Even with me, Bereans were commended in, throughout the book of Acts. Why? Because Bereans are known for the people who are actually going to the scripture and find out themselves whether what Paul was teaching was true. So it is not the action, it is not the teaching, but it is the hidden motives. We ought, you ought to be very careful not to do, put ourselves in Christ's judgment seat. Final judgment belongs to Christ. But Paul directly, the contextually what he's saying is that could you stop that and accept me as your leader, as your teacher, as your pastor? And he's going to talk about how they acted even more next week. Uh, he gets wonderfully sarcastic. So wait for that. So, But as for the pastors of operating principle we ought to fear the Lord because on that day there will be a stricter judgment on the teachers and pastors do you hear what Paul is saying I look around myself I'm being truly honest with you there's nothing I'm aware of I should be guilty of. My conscience is clear. Oh, how many pastors can really say that? That itself is a very incredible character, integrity. But what he's saying is, I don't even, that doesn't even count. Because my own judgment is not really final judgment. I don't even judge myself. On that day, Christ will judge me. 
That's what I mean by fear. The things that I thought I did, did really well, and in hindsight, I see mixed motives. So I repented, and I'm doing it a different way, but am I completely 100% pure in this ministry? Even if I'm not guilty in my own conscience, who am I to judge my own heart? If that's the case, why do we continually judge others in that sense? This is not just the pastors only, even amongst each other. We are not to judge each other's motive. Leave that to Christ. Yes, in our generation, we ought to be very careful and discerning about false teachings and half-truth, prosperity gospels. All those things are very damaging. We ought to discern that. The lies of what normal Christian life should look like and about from the consumer-oriented churches, yes, we ought to be very discerning. But no judgment. Number four and final, when, as far as today's passage is concerned, pastors are given to you by Christ, Paul saying, hence don't boast in favor of one pastor or one leader against another. Verse six, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Paul applied all these principles on himself and Apollos already. So in a, in a sense, what he's saying is that if I am good at about anything, I do not really consider it myself, my, mine. It is given to me by God. And Apollos' ability to, to articulate things in such a mesmerizing way that's not actually his. It's given to him by God. So we do not boast. We are lowly under roars, which looks to Christ and his command and directions. So do not worship us. Do not do a fanfare for us. We're humble. We have no choice to be humble. That's what he's saying. And then turn to them and say, when you are serving the same way, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you're good at writing, if you're good at speaking, if you're good at teaching, if you're good at organizing, if you're good at computer stuff, what do you have that you did not receive? God has given to you, including pastors and leaders, they're given to you by God.
Isn't it interesting that um, Paul continually hammered this point on, on and on? Because I think what we should be aware of, the subtlety of their attitude and emotion puffed off. That's the, that's the image. Don't we see that all the time, even online, and there's a, some kind of a you know, uh, post, and, and it's about this leader and that leader, and all these people coming up with this puffed-up attitude, not acting like Christian at all. So let me come back to ourselves again. Yes, this is primarily for the people who are leading the church, pastors and elders and teachers. But in the general sense, everyone is given the spiritual gift and everyone is, is to serve the church and serve Christ. So in some sense, we are all ministers of Christ. So with that in mind, in serving Christ, I leave you this quote, with this quote by Jim Elliot. 1956, he was killed by the Indians of, uh, in Ecuador, barbaric Indians, who later became all the Christians, with family, familiar stories, right? And Elizabeth Elliot, his wife, collected his journal and published. And this is his one of journals. Can I remind you this? There's a part that I skipped, and he mentions about in my senior years. He's talking about Wheaton College during his senior year. So, so this was written when he was about about 21, if he's a fifth, fifth uh, senior, super senior, maybe 22 years old. He writes, He makes his ministers a flame of fire. Am I ignitable? God delivered me from the dread asbestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of the Spirit that I may be a flame. But flame is transient, often short-lived. Canst thou bear this, my soul, short life? In me there dwells the spirit of the great short-lived, whose zeal for God's house consumed him. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. God, I pray thee, Light these idle sticks of my life, and may I burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. My prayer for you and me is that we don't set that aside as a journal of a special person who is very, very different. He was an ordinary person, just like you and me. 
but who look into the scripture and surrender his life and his heart. Do you feel the fire? Does the Holy Spirit call you to be a flame of fire in serving Christ? I'm not talking about that you will hold the evangelistic meeting, that you will te- start teaching and serve, doing sermons at all. But I'm saying in your own way of serving, even your home group and women's group and men's group, will you be on fire for Christ because you love him, for love for him, because you're gratitude for him? Because his solemn call to obey his call. Then our church will be spiritually vital. Our body will be healthy. And then I would not be only pastor and shepherd or Christ's servant. Many Pastors and shepherds and teachers and leaders, servants of Christ will be in our church. May the Lord bless you as you surrender your heart and obey what you're hearing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this clarity that points to your desire and your will and your biblical model rather than culturally savvy pragmatic ways of doing ministry. We surrender our hearts to you including the mixed motives including the things that we really didn't make up our mind fully. But the truth in in our innermost being is to please you. We want to please you. We want to follow you. We want to be a good steward of the things that you entrusted to us. So on that day, we long to hear your commendation. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Would you revive our church with your flames? We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.